Arizona keeps everybody up late into the night despite Fox News' very early call. Trump supporters worry about voter irregularities, and the media continue to agonize over those terrible, terrible white Republican voters. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your data from prying eyes at expressvpn.com. Ben. We're going to get to all of the news in just one second because, believe it or not, it is now Thursday and the presidential race is still not over. There's still ballots to be counted in Arizona. There's still ballots to be counted in Pennsylvania. Some of the networks have called Wisconsin and Michigan in favor of Joe Biden, which means that the entire election really does come down to these, those two states, although we are still waiting on Nevada as well. We'll get to all of that in just one second. First, this holiday season, more people are going to be mailing stuff than ever before. I mean, first of all, it may be difficult to get together with loved ones. You need to send stuff in the mail or your business, and you're selling stuff via the mail. Well, why would you head on over to the post office when you could do it all easily and safely and securely from home? Why not just use all the services of the Postal Service but not have to go to the post office? This is what Stamps.com is for. Here at Daily Wire, we've been using Stamps.com since 2017. We do not waste our time. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS directly to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business. Whether you're a small office sending out invoices or an online seller fulfilling orders during this record-setting holiday season, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or a drop-off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp, up to 40% off priority mail, up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. It's a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. There's no risk. With my promo code Shapiro, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. That is a fantastic deal. Just head on over to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro. That is Stamps.com. Enter Shapiro again. Stamps.com. Enter Shapiro. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Okay, so Joe Biden is basically preemptively declaring victory. He's not saying that he definitely won, but he's saying, yeah, we're going to win. So here was Joe Biden yesterday walking out to the cheers, presumably, of the members of the media, declaring that they were on track to win the presidential election. Now, after a long night of counting, it's clear that we're winning enough states to reach 270 electoral votes needed to win the presidency. I'm not here to declare that we've won, but I am here to report when the count is finished, we believe we will be the winners. Okay, so um, that is not helpful in any way, shape, or form. It's also not helpful because the fact of the matter is there are still votes to be counted in Arizona. So this morning, the Arizona Republic reported that Trump is actually getting the share of votes he would need to reclaim Arizona. And according to the Arizona Republic, azcentral.com, as Maricopa County released the results from 140,000 more ballots on Wednesday night and Thursday morning, President Donald Trump received almost the exact share he would need to charge back to win Arizona's 11 electoral votes and potentially re-election. Trump won the batches of ballots from Maricopa County, counted Wednesday and early Thursday by a roughly 57 to 40 margin over former Vice President Joe Biden. Those votes, likely early ballots, sent to the county on Monday and Tuesday, narrowed Biden's lead over Trump in Arizona to 68,000 votes. His lead had been more than 90,000 votes earlier on Wednesday. Paul Benz, a Republican pollster with the consulting firm High Ground, said Trump needs to win 57.6% of the 470,000 votes the Arizona Republic estimates remain to be counted. He said that's almost exactly what he got in the first patch. He could do it. The problem for Trump is he needs to replicate that performance across all of the remaining 470,000 votes left to count in the state. He needs to do it across all of Arizona's 15 diverse counties. That includes Pima, Coconino, Coconino, and Santa Cruz counties. 
Trump needs to repeat that performance with every single batch, every single ballot, every single day, said Bent. The first step in the long journey was a successful run in a successful one in Trump's tightrope walk. President Trump also needs to maintain that vote margin through different batches of ballots that include those that arrived in the mail before Election Day. Early ballots dropped off at the polls on Election Day and provisional ballots voters cast because they didn't have the right form of identification or they went to the wrong polling place. But this means that there is a pathway that is still open in Arizona. And this is giving everybody over at Fox News heartburn. And it should give everybody over at Fox News heartburn because you'll recall that very, very early on Tuesday night, Fox News called Arizona in favor of Joe Biden. And it really shifted the momentum of what everybody was feeling because it came shortly after Florida had been called for Trump and it looked like Trump was running away with Florida. Now, does that impact the vote? Not really. Okay, there, there's some speculation that perhaps the call in Arizona came so early that there were a few people who were left in line. That theoretically could be a problem. But I believe the call didn't come like five minutes in. It came probably an hour and a half after Arizona actually closed the polls, an hour after Arizona closed the polls. So my guess is you're not talking about thousands and thousands of people who are left in line just to be perfectly accurate about all of this. With that said, Fox News calling it early was seen by a lot of people, including a lot of conservatives, as a sign that Fox News wants to get away from Trump just generally. And it caused an awful lot of consternation on Fox News. A Trump campaign official yesterday reamed Fox News for the early Arizona call. As this narrows, there is going to be great pressure on you guys, to be honest with you, Fox News, to rescind your call. It was it was a premature call. You know, we were livid about the fact that you and then the AP made that call. There are seven organizations that call states on election night from time to time. Seven. Five of those seven did not make that call. And okay, you guys Sam, we got it. And and we, you, don't and wanna, I you don't want to be in a position. This Thank is going to lead Joe Thank Biden to falsely declare himself the president-elect at some point. Understood. Okay, so this was, there was a lot of pressure on Fox News, and uh, you could see it actually on the ground. MSNBC was reporting on a crowd yesterday outside some of the Maricopa County offices where the votes were being counted, shouting Fox News sucks, right? which is not something that you normally hear from crowds of, uh, of Republican voters. And here's a little bit of that footage. A loud and very boisterous crowd. You'll start here and then uh, start up here. And they're actually chanting... Fox News sucks. Fox News sucks. The reason why they're chanting that is because Fox News called Arizona uh, for Biden yesterday. And a lot of people are angry about that. MSNBC guys like, this is amazing. They're not shouting at me. That's amazing. Probably the best clip from last night was actually Rachel Maddow. When it finally dawned on her that Trump could actually win Arizona. Because remember, the map is such that if Trump wins Arizona and he wins Pennsylvania, remember the votes are still being counted in Pennsylvania. Guess who wins the election? <laughs> and so this dawns on Rachel Maddow in real time as Steve Kornacki, who actually is quite good at his job, is going through the stats. And uh, you can see Rachel Maddow almost begin to collapse in on herself. If things go this, this way, we are looking at something that looks very close to a tie. Yeah, and I, I, I would just I'd say it at this point, because it's 75,000 out of 400,000 and change that are going to come in. So we're not sure it's exactly going to be 59% when all is said and done. Sure. If it ends up at 55, I think he'll be short. If it ends up at 65, I think there's a chance he would overtake Biden there. So we haven't really established the rate. What we've established right now is the possibility. Okay, and Rachel Maddow then starts to almost fall apart. And it's, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Okay, meanwhile, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, he reamed Fox News as well. So they should re you guys need to retract the call. I mean, Fox News was under heavy pressure for the last 48 hours to retract a call that obviously was premature. So here, here's Ron DeSantis going after Fox News. 
Trump is gaining in Arizona. There's probably 500,000. So here's my thing, Sean. If you're going to be quick on the trigger, then be quick on the trigger for both sides and stand by it. But it seems like with Trump, they never want to call the state. And then Biden, man, they'll do it right away. Um, it's inconsistent. It's unacceptable. And look, North Carolina should be called for the president uh, for sure. Arizona, that Fox should rescind that call. Well, meanwhile, Nate Silver is saying the same thing. So this is not just Republican partisans like members of the Trump campaign or Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. And he's making a good point there, too, which is it took them four damned ever to call Florida on election night. I mean, it, it took like four hours for them to call Florida, even though we all knew within the first hour because all of the ballots were already in and were counted very, very quickly. Florida has a very smooth, because of 2000, tabulation system. They really come out with excellent voter data very quickly. It took them forever to call that state. But Arizona, they were really quick on the trigger. And he's right about that. Nate Silver said, I don't know. I guess I'd say that Biden will win Arizona if he forced me to pick. But I sure as heck don't think the state should have been called by anyone. I think the calls that were previously made should be retracted now. That's Nate Silver. So there's a lot of heartburn out there for people who think that this election is already over. It is worth noting here, by the way, that Georgia may end up in the Democratic lane. That's how close all of these states are. So there are still votes coming in in Fulton County, which includes Atlanta. It is quite possible that those votes split in favor of Joe Biden, which means that Joe Biden would end up winning Georgia. So you could see a situation in which Trump loses the election because he loses Georgia, but he wins Arizona and Pennsylvania. So there's still a lot of outstanding questions as to where this race is right now. Plus, there are now lawsuits that are on the books. So anybody who's declaring that the race is over, anybody who's declaring that this, this election is done, not yet it ain't, not yet it ain't. And we'll get to more of this in just one second. First, we all hear the stories in the news. A good guy has to use a gun to protect his family from criminals, and then he gets arrested after having to do so. The legal system may not be fair in some of these situations. Responsibly armed Americans often become political targets. It's just not right for good, responsible Americans to wind up in jail or embroiled in a lawsuit for defending themselves or their family. But in this day and age, you need a gun to protect your family and yourself. So here's how you can take a simple, powerful journey to firearms and self-defense confidence. It's called the Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide from the United States Concealed Carry Association, the USCCA. It is 100% free. You'll learn how to detect attackers before they see you, how to survive a mass shooting, the safest and most dangerous places to sit in a restaurant, how to responsibly own and store a gun, even if you have small children, and a whole lot more. It's 164 pages. It comes with a bonus audio version, so you can listen whenever you want. Right now, there's a lot out there. It's unpredictable. You see high crime in various major cities. You need to protect yourself. I mean, you do, but you need to do it responsibly. You need to know how to do it, and you need the legal resources available in case, God forbid, you have to fire your gun in self-defense. Text Ben to 87222 to hook up with my friends over at USCCA. They'll get instant access and a chance to win 1000 bucks so you can buy a gun to protect your family. Text Ben to 87222 right now. Again, text my name, Ben, to 87222 to get started with my friends over at the USCCA. Okay, meanwhile, President Trump has now filed lawsuits in three separate states. According to the Associated Press, President Trump's campaign filed lawsuits Wednesday in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Georgia, laying the groundwork for contesting battleground states as he slipped behind Democrat Joe Biden in the hunt for 270 electoral college votes needed to win the White House. The new filings, joining existing Republican legal challenges in Pennsylvania and Nevada, demand better access for campaign observers to locations where ballots are being processed and counted and raise absentee ballot concerns, the campaign said. However, at one Michigan location in question, the AP observed poll watchers from both sides monitoring on Wednesday. I am enjoying the AP using one example of, of bad things not happening to now suggest that the lawsuit is baseless. We'll find out whether the lawsuits are baseless. The Trump campaign availing itself of the courts in order to ensure that there are enough poll watchers at particular polling stations. That is perfectly within the bounds of legal and perfectly within the bounds of the predictable. And you would assume that all of this is going to hash out in the courts and in the end. The AP has already called Michigan 
for Joe Biden on Wednesday. Nevada, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, these are all undecided. The Trump campaign is also seeking to intervene in a Pennsylvania case at the Supreme Court that deals with whether ballots received up to three days after the election can be counted, according to Deputy Campaign Manager Justin Clark. And that is because in the lower court order, there was a suggestion that ballots received after Election Day that were not postmarked before Election Day could still be counted, which is totally crazy. And that could mean that your ballot packing after the election is already over. Now you start to see the ballots come in. You start to see that the race is too close to call. And you say to yourself, OK, well, I didn't vote. I'm going to go and I'm going to vote now. Okay, you can't do that. That is that is election fraud, right? If you actually vote after Election Day, Election Day is called Election Day for a reason. There is no such thing as Election Day Part 2. The Trump campaign also announced he would ask for a recount in the state of Wisconsin, a state that AP called for Biden on Wednesday afternoon. Campaign manager Bill Stepien cited irregularities in several Wisconsin counties without providing specifics. It is unlikely that a recount in Wisconsin will result in a Trump victory in Wisconsin. Scott Walker, former governor of Wisconsin, now the head of Young America's Foundation, which is an excellent organization, he says that we've had recounts in the state before. It tends to move a couple hundred votes. It doesn't move 20,000 votes. Biden's campaign spokesman, Andrew Bates, said legal challenges were not the behavior of a winning campaign. He says what makes these charades especially pathetic is that while Trump is demanding recounts in places he has already lost, he simultaneously engaged in fruitless attempts to halt the counting of votes in other states in which he's on the road to defeat. Okay, and this has become the talking point for Democrats because in some states you're hearing Republican voters chant, sh- chant count the votes like in Arizona. Right. And meanwhile, over in Michigan, they're literally shouting, stop the count right? because they are worried about the possibility of voter irregularities. So here is some footage from uh, protesters in Michigan shouting to stop the count. OK, so this has been used by Democrats as an excuse to proclaim that Republicans are attempting to engage in voter suppression because you have some people chanting stop the count in Michigan and other people in Arizona chanting count the votes. First of all, stop the count also happens to be, this is the best tweet of yesterday that I saw. That also happens to be a a chant that was very popular around Transylvanian castles back in about 1870. Stop the count. But in any case, the, uh, in any case, that, that that is intellectually dishonest to suggest that because people want some vote count stopped in Michigan and other people in Arizona want the votes to be counted, that that is in inconsistency, as Kimberly Strassel of The Wall Street Journal points out, she says, lots of folks saying incorrectly, GOP wants to both count and stop ballots at the same time. Let's be more precise. There are three categories. Republicans calling to count votes that came in by election day or before per state law. That is obvious, right? That'd be Arizona. Two, Republicans calling to halt votes until GOP observers given access to vote counting. No one is suggesting the votes not be counted, only that Republicans be allowed to witness the counting. Why not? Transparency is good. We'll raise confidence in outcome. That would be Michigan. Three, Republicans questioning states that want to count votes that contravene state law on deadlines. Left is claiming this is disenfranchisement, but why? Laws are laws. We're all expected to follow them. And why should some states get extra judicially granted privileges, not others? And that would be Pennsylvania, right? So you can't treat every state as though it is the same. In Arizona, there's not a lot of accusations of voter irregularities. We'll get to a couple of accusations that turned out not to be true yesterday. In Michigan, there are accusations that poll watchers who are Republicans have been thrown out of the polling places and so are not able to monitor properly. We'll see whether there's evidence of that. And then in Pennsylvania, there are serious questions about how exactly the votes are being counted, right? Are you actually tabulating ballots that are coming in after the election day and doing so even if they were not postmarked before election day, right? That's an open question. So to pretend that there is is some sort of inconsistency there for Republicans is to be intellectually dishonest. It's not intellectually honest to suggest that all situations no matter how different, ought to be treated exactly the same. 
That's the point that Kimberly Strassel is making. Okay, so with that said, Republicans are focused very heavily on the possibility of voter irregularities deciding the election. Now, I, I don't think that that is the case. I do not think that voter irregularities are going to decide the election. I think that we have a bevy of systems across the country. That's actually a fairly good protection against widespread nationalized voter fraud. If you had a centralized system in Washington, D.C., that was actually handled by a federal bureaucrat, that would be a lot more troublesome than having this bevy of systems all over the country. With that said, when the sausage gets made, it can be very ugly, right? And, and people don't pay a lot of attention to how the sausage is made until voting day. And then it's like, oh my gosh, look at that. There, there are batches of, of mail-in ballots that are being brought in. Well, yeah, I mean, how did you think they got counted? Somebody had to drive them over in a car and then they got counted. Does that open the possibility for voter fraud? Sure, why not? It could. But you actually have to evidence voter fraud if you're going to suggest that voter fraud is the rationale for a particular loss. I don't like when Democrats do this. Democrats have done this for years. Right? Demo Stacey Abrams is still walking around out there in the wilderness claiming that she is the governor of Georgia because of voter suppression without any evidence. So I want the lawsuits to go forward. I think it is good for transparency. I think it is good for the American people to feel safe and secure in their elections. I think all proof should be brought. And I think it's good that people are eagle-eyed. I've been getting all sorts of emails from people asking about voter irregularities. It's good to be eagle-eyed about voter irregularities. But then we have to investigate. It's not just enough to put the accusation out there. You actually have to show that there is, in fact, a real problem. We'll get to this in just one second because we should be as accurate about all of this, I think, as possible in the interests of the country and in the interests of holding clean and fair elections. The election may not be fair for other reasons. We'll get to the media's intervention in this election because, frankly, to me, if you're going to talk about impacts on elections that seem unfair, just in a generalized sense, the media's intervention in this election was obviously unfair. Corporate intervention in the election is unfair. Social media intervention in the election is unfair. But the voting system itself, calling that into question, has some pretty parlous consequences. So we'll, we'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that the Second Amendment is pretty damned important. In fact, it's so important that I'm quite relieved that it looks like Republicans are going to hold the Senate because if Joe Biden had his way, he would be looking to confiscate your guns right now. And who knows, he may try to do it from the executive office if he ends up as president, God forbid, anyway. Well, this is why you need to protect your Second Amendment rights. You know who agrees? The folks over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. Bravo Company started in the garage of a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps in Heartland, Wisconsin. The people at Bravo Company MFG support the right of responsible private individuals to have the access and ability to employ the same tools as civilian law enforcement as a means of defending ourselves, our loved ones, our communities, and our freedoms should a threatening situation ever arise. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it will be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas. So quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin, to a life-saving standard. As an American, you have the luxury of living in a free society where you can improve your life education, religious exploration, the open exchange of ideas. All of those rights are protected by the Second Amendment. The folks at Bravo Company Manufacturing know that. They know the responsibility of making excellent firearms. Head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. You can discover more about their products, special offers, upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. Okay, so as I say, a lot of accusations of voter fraud. Andy McCarthy, who uh, writes about this sort of stuff for National Review, obviously a, uh, an excellent lawyer and a Trump voter as well. Annie McCarthy has a piece today about voter fraud. And I think it is worthwhile going through the piece because I think that this is, this is relevant. He says, on the matter of vote fraud, there is law and there are facts. We'll hear plenty about fraud, but we'll have to remind ourselves to ask, did it make a difference? Even if the Trump campaign has potential claims in law, they would collapse if, as a matter of fact, they would not affect the outcome of a race. 
Pennsylvania, which I've discussed extensively over the last three weeks, is a good example. As repeatedly recounted, the state Supreme Court by fiat ordered a three-day extension of the November 3rd Election Day deadline for the state's receipt of mail-in votes, i.e. until close of business, November 6th. I believe this was an unconstitutional usurpation of the the state legislature's power to set the rules for elections. If so, that would give the Trump campaign a basis to seek the Supreme Court's intervention. Indeed, four justices on the high court were poised to stay a grant, uh, poised to grant a stay against the state court's order in mid-October. Just last week, three of those justices induced Pen- Pennsylvania to agree to segregate the ballots received during the three-day extension, anticipating the court might review the matter on an expedited basis after Election Day. In addition, the Trump campaign could also argue there was a significant potential for vote fraud because of the presumption the Pennsylvania court imposed on its extension order. Ballots are to be deemed timely submitted, even if they lack a legible postmark or any postmark at all, proving they were mailed on or before November 3rd. Obviously, this creates the possibility ballots could be harvested and submitted post-election without postmarks, right? This is what I'm talking about. Pennsylvania, that lawsuit is well-founded. So, says Andy McCarthy, we have a viable legal claim and a potential for fraud in the battleground state. It was reasonably anticipated could decide the election. Clearly, that was why a number of Supreme Court justices were inclined to intervene. And yet, all of this only matters if there are enough late-arriving ballots to change the result. Right before I appeared on Fox News on Wednesday afternoon to talk about this legal terrain, Bill Hemmer interviewed an election official from Luzerne County, northeastern Pennsylvania's most populous county with over 320,000 people. He explained that for all the legal huffing and puffing over illegality and fraud, only about 200 ballots arrived by mail there on Wednesday. Obviously, each day we get further from November 3rd, we should expect fewer ballots to the point where it's down to a trickle on Friday. Now, there are 67 counties in Pennsylvania, but if that is, a late arri- if that is the late arrival rate in Luzerne, most counties are going to have fewer, many will have significantly fewer. As I write this post at 6 p.m. Wednesday evening, Pennsylvania is reporting 87% of the statewide vote is in. President Trump leads by 4.8%. That translates to almost 300,000 votes. Now, says Andy McCarthy, it is certainly possible the remaining 13% of the vote could break heavily for former VP Biden, and he could eke out a razor-thin win, in which case every vote might count. And then there would be a convincing legal claim. It is also equally likely that either Trump holds on and wins the state, or the vote breaks so sharply for Biden that Biden wins by one or two points, In the first of those latter two scenarios, the likely illegality and potential fraud would be irrelevant. You wouldn't have standing. And even if Biden wins, it only matters if so many Biden ballots arrived between November 4th and 6th that they could have been the difference maker shifting the contest from Trump to Biden. And this is something to keep in mind as we move forward. Spotting an instance of voter irregularity is not evidence that the voter irregularity is so significant statistically that it would actually shift the nature of the election itself. In order, for example, for Wisconsin to to have been decided by voter irregularity, you would have to assume that the 20,000 vote margin would be swamped by voter fraud. We've not seen evidence of of that sort of widespread voter fraud. The same thing in Pennsylvania. We'll have to see how the Pennsylvania count comes out. That's the point that McCarthy is making. Nonetheless, yesterday, the Trump campaign held a press conference. Eric Trump appeared there. Rudy Giuliani appeared there. Here was Eric Trump yesterday suggesting that voter fraud is rife in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia in particular. They're trying to cheat. They have three by five printed big posters in polling locations all over the city saying to vote for Biden and Harris, which is totally illegal. They're passing out flyers. And now they won't let, and we brought one great gentleman here with us today, Jeremy, who's a poll watcher down at the convention center. They won't even let him watch as they count the ballots. They put them behind a fence 40, 50 yards away where they actually can't see the counting happening. Guys, this is fraud. This is absolute fraud. Okay, so to clarify on that, particular allegation. And I think it's important that we actually go through the allegations so that we are as factual as possible about this election. I think that the system breeds distrust. I think that all of the systems should run like Florida does. I think that the sort of haphazard way that all these systems are run is really not particularly good. But as far as that first allegation that, for example, 
people are uh, posting signs in polling places telling people to vote for Biden in violation of the law. The Philadelphia District Attorney's Office did investigate the allegation. They tweeted out the polling place is located in an interior room. The sign in question is further than 10 feet from that. The tweet is uh, deliberately deceptive. So not a ton of evidence that that amounts to voter fraud. As far as people not being able to watch because they're placed too far away, again, lawsuits are being filed on this basis. A similar lawsuit is being filed in Michigan on that basis. So if you are staking the results of the election on lawsuits alleging voter fraud, you, you have to imagine that those are probably not going to be the uh, the deciding factor in the election. Either Trump wins Arizona and Philadelphia and Pennsylvania outright. I don't think the lawsuits are going to shift around the nature of the election. I, just, I, I don't think they will, just to, to be perfectly blunt about it. We'll get to more of the allegations over, over voter irregularity and voter fraud in just one second. First, let us talk about something amazing that you can do for yourself, for your family. Okay, so on your phone, you have tons of photos, right? What have you actually done with those photos? They just sit there on your phone. Because who has the time to go and make like a little book? And like that takes hours. You're not going to do that. What if you could just take that, that photo and you could email it with like one quick and easy email. And now you would get back all of the possible ways that you could frame that thing, print that thing out, put it on a beautiful piece of material. That's what my photo is for. My photo is a game changer. It is crazy easy and crazy fast to take any photo and make it into a metal piece, a glass piece, wood, or more. It literally takes two minutes to do it. I get it in five days. It comes in a stunning gift box. It makes a fabulous holiday gift. With the holidays coming up, I barely need to do anything to make something so personal and special. I sent a picture of my family from a, a recent wedding, and uh, it came back in this beautiful glass frame. It is just, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's colorful and gorgeous. These guys have literally made millions of customers' memories come to life. You got to try it right now, and it's very easy. Just head on over to myphoto.com. You can easily see your photo on all their products and then simply purchase. You can use the promo code BEN25 today for 25% off. I have several of their pieces in my house. Again, it's quick, and it's easy. It doesn't take time, and it's fantastic. I mean, it just makes your house look beautiful. Go to myphoto.com right now. Use the code BEN25. Get 25% off. You'll see how easy and fun it is. It is fantastic, easy, fast. Anyone can do it. Don't just let those photos sit there on your phone doing nothing. Instead, go to myphoto.com right now. Use the code BEN25, get 25% off. I know the founders of the company, really fantastic, trustworthy people. Go check out myphoto.com right now and use my code BEN25 to get 25% off your purchase. Okay, so again, lots of allegations from Team Trump that there is a voter fraud. This is all going to get litigated. It's all going to get litigated. So just, I'm telling everybody not to call the election because there's still outstanding votes, because there's still outstanding litigation. And I'm saying the same thing to Republicans. Before Republicans declare that the election has been quote-unquote stolen, before they declare that it's a foregone conclusion that the election has been stolen, this is all going to get litigated. There is a process for this stuff. And I think it's important to remember that, that this process is going to move forward. So Kaylee McEnany suggested that Philadelphia has a history of peculiar results. She's not wrong about this. Again, I'm not saying the suspicions are wrong. I'm just saying, let's wait. Let's wait. Is let's wait a bad thing? I don't think let's wait is a bad thing. Here's Kaylee McEnany. Philadelphia in particular has a history of very peculiar results. You had um, in the case 59 different precincts where Mitt Romney got precisely zero votes, which is very unlikely um, and curious indeed. Just six months ago, you had a Philadelphia judge uh, who was convicted in a scheme to accept bribes as he cast fraudulent ballots four months ago. You had a Democrat individual who was charged for in 2014, 2015, and in 2016 stuffing the ballot box with fraudulent ballots. So we want to be on alert. Okay, and that is perfectly acceptable. It is. It is perfect. Anybody who's saying that they shouldn't be on alert, 
Why not? This is an extraordinarily close election. It's going to be decided by thousands, not hundreds of thousands of votes in places ranging from Arizona and Georgia and Pennsylvania to Wisconsin and Michigan. This is an extraordinarily, extraordinarily close election. Like a very, very close election. Okay, so with that said, that means that we should actually, you know, take a, a solid look at the allegations that are, are being put out there. So right now, there is an allegation that was put out there that people were covering up windows in Michigan. And on the face of this, this does look really suspicious, right? There are a bunch of people outside who are attempting to see what's going on inside a place where the votes are being counted and suddenly see workers bringing over poster board to cover up the windows. Nothing quite says transparency and openness like covering up actual windows. Here's some footage of that. Okay, so that obviously is not exactly a great look. So what exactly happened in Michigan? So according to the Detroit Free Press, they say the issue was sparked when some poll challengers were not allowed into the counting area as limits had already been reached. Republicans and Democrats are each legally allowed to have 134 challengers observe the counting process. According to the Detroit News, issues flared when both parties had more than 200 challengers in the room exceeding the limit. Republicans complained that the block on challengers entering the hall had allowed more Democrats to be present to observe the counts. They were saying, yeah, we have 134, but they've got 175 challengers who are being allowed into the room. Police stood outside the entrance of the center to prevent further challengers from entering the building to observe the tallying of results in the key swing state. Footage posted on Twitter by a Washington Post photojournalist saw when Georgia's showed a few dozen people gathered outside the hall, a smaller portion raising their fists and chanting, stop the count. Newsweek contacted the Michigan Department of State for further details and comment. While the situation unfolded in Detroit, President Trump's re-election campaign filed a lawsuit at the Michigan Court of Claims arguing they had not been provided with meaningful access to counting locations so they could observe the counting of the ballots. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who is a Trump opponent, it is worth leaving note, later dubbed the lawsuit frivolous and, com and claimed its complaints did not have merit. Well, we will see whether that is true because, again, all of this is going to end up in litigation. The apparent Michigan Secretary of State suggests that uh, the covering up of the windows uh, is, is, was about people looking in and, uh, and not being allowed legally in and then trying to gather information based on that uh, about voters, like looking at ballots they weren't supposed to be looking at. In any case, that'll be investigated. It should be investigated because why the hell not? Everything should be investigated. Okay, another story that came out yesterday that people were suggesting was indicative of voter fraud. This is called the Sharpie story. So you're hearing a lot of rumors yesterday in Arizona that people had been told that they could fill in their ballots with Sharpie and then those ballots filled in in Sharpie were not actually processable by the machines. Right, well, that turns out not to be true. Here's the Arizona Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, pointing out that all of those ballots have in fact been processed and will be processed. There is no concern about ballots being counted because of the the pen that was used to mark the ballots. All of those ballots are being counted. Um, and even if the machines can't read them for some reason, a marker bled through to the other side, we have ways to count them. They're going to be counted. There is absolutely no merit to saying that this was some conspiracy to invalidate Republican ballots. It just, there is no there there at all. Okay, it is worthy of note also that this was being live streamed. So you could actually tune in in real time and watch the ballots being counted. So there are recount provisions of Arizona law. Um, and uh, she says that she says that there, uh, the, the provisions of, of recounting in Arizona law, it has to be within a, a particular 
kind of margin of error. We'll see whether it is inside that margin of error. So Wolf Blitzer did ask about the, the Sharpie situation. He said, have you heard of that? Is there any truth to that claim? She said, I've been talking about markers all day today. Certainly, I want to validate voters who have concerns about their ballots being counted. There's no concern about ballots being counted because of the pen that was used to mark the ballots. All of the ballots are going to be counted. All of them. Okay, so that is where things stand. There was also some rumors yesterday, people saying things like, well, look at that. There are more votes in Wisconsin than registered voters in Wisconsin. Wisconsin has same-day voter registration. So that, that is why you're seeing those stats. Again, worthy of myth-busting this sort of stuff simply so that we know exactly what the scope of voter fraud is and the scope of potential voter fraud and the scope of potential voter irregularity. Now, the truth is that this has been a, a pretty calm process. I mean, for a country that was sort of on the edge of a, of a cataclysm, it seems like the process has been pretty calm. Many of the people who are showing up and protesting are, are protesting peacefully. Like, I haven't seen any violence breaking out at the polling places. I haven't seen Republicans punching people because they're so angry about what's going on or anything like that. Didn't stop MSNBC from freaking out. So there's a crowd in Maricopa County literally just standing around. And there's an MSNBC reporter who's freaking out as though the, like these people are kneeling and praying. And the MSNBC reporter is like, we're all going to die. What do we do? There was MSNBC covering, you know, people peacefully protesting by claiming that they're, they're on the verge of, uh, of breaking into rioting and looting. This is the same network that actually covered rioting and looting as though they were on the verge of, of breaking into prayer. Here was, uh, here was MSNBC covering a peaceful protest. Right now they're, they're kneeling in prayer, but one of the things that we've seen is uh, them chanting very loudly, count that vote, count that vote. Uh, and then we've got poll workers that are coming off of shift and the poll workers have to be escorted out by uh, armed sheriff's deputies down those stairs and into vans and taken away from here. Uh, so this is a type, uh, the type of scene that we're seeing. We're going to get a little bit closer here. We don't want to get too close. Uh, a lot of people uh, in the crowd are, are, are not wearing masks. Okay, so, um, you know, obviously this is scary, scary stuff over at MSNBC. They were also freaking out in Detroit where there were Republicans showing up at the polling places to make sure the votes were counted. And MSNBC freaked out about that as well. What we see here is essentially an increasing mob-like scene of self-proclaimed poll watchers who say that they want to get access to the building. So many of them have rushed into the building here that I'm actually talking to official Democratic poll watchers from the Democratic Party who've been shut outside of the balloting room, which they are supposed to have access to. Eamon, it's gotten to the point where we do have a police presence here that is blocking access to the building because not only have they swarmed the room, but they are now over in terms of COVID restrictions. Wow. I mean, I mean, look at these people. Look how dangerous they look right behind her. I mean, doesn't that look like just a terrifying scene? It was mostly peaceful, though. They should just claim that they were protesting Black Lives Matter and then everything would be totally fine. By the way, there were protesters out there in, in some of the major cities yesterday. Uh, there was a protester spitting on an officer in the West Village. I didn't see MSNBC covering it quite the same way. We'll get to that in just one second. First, you've heard me talk about my Helix sleep mattress, right? You've heard me talk about how important it is to me because I need to have my sleep. It needs to be good because I don't have that many hours available to do it. Well, Helix Sleep, those people who make excellent mattresses, well, now they've launched a new company. It's called Allform. They are making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped directly to your door. What makes an Allform sofa really cool? Well, for starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric. It's spill, stain, scratch resistant. The sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size and shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight seat sectional. So there's something for everybody. And you can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want your all form sofa to grow and change with you when you move. 
All form sofas are also delivered directly to your door. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, you would need to hire somebody to come and assemble it in your home or break your back trying to put it together yourself. Not so with Allform. They have a simple, quick assembly, no tools needed. I've got an Allform sofa. I've got that three-seat sofa with chaise in the sand color with espresso legs. It's fantastic. My kids love it. It's so comfortable that when we have guests come over, very often, they actually shun the bed, and they're like, I'm sleeping on this Allform sofa. It's that comfortable. If getting a sofa without trying it in the store sounds risky, don't worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That is more than three months. If you don't love it, they will pick it up for free and give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. To find that perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash Ben. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, so while MSNBC was freaking out over people who are literally standing outside polling places and pl- polling places and praying, there are actual crazy people who continue to do crazy things all over the country. Uh, over in the uh, West Village, a protester spit on an officer. It didn't go well for her. It turns out this is a bad strategy. Yeah, when you spit on an officer, like when you actually assault an officer, there's a good shot that you're going to be arrested. Um, but don't worry, it was mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful spitting on officers. Uh, good, good times all the way around. Uh, I, I will say that this has not been without its amusements, this entire process. Probably the, the most viral moment of yesterday happened when um, there was a presser in Nevada and a man with a shirt reading Barbecue, Beer, and Freedom invaded to shut down an announcement that votes were not going to be released yesterday. Um, okay. So, yeah, things things are still going great. But here's the truth. This election, for all the talk leading up to it about how this is going to be chaotic and horrific, it has not been. And in fact, it turns out this has been an excellent, excellent election for Republicans. Okay, excellent election for Republicans, broadly speaking. There are a bunch of, of new indicators about how well Republicans did across the United States. Republicans are likely to pick up anywhere from 7 to 13 seats in the House, which nobody saw coming. Republicans are likely to hold the Senate at this point in time. There may be two runoffs in Georgia. It is highly likely that Republicans win both runoffs in Georgia. Republicans are going to hold the seat in Montana. They're going to hold the seat in Maine. They're going to hold the seat in North Carolina. And and so even if Joe Biden is, God forbid, elected president when all of this is said and done, he's going to be facing down a Republican majority in the Senate, which is a very different presidency than Joe Biden thought he was going to be facing. In fact, Joe Biden is the first Democratic president elected since 1884 not to enter office with a Democratic majority in both the House and the Senate. Isn't that an incredible stat? He's the first elected, Demo- if he wins, he will be the first elected Democratic president who does not enter office with his party in control of both the House and the Senate. And that's going to make an awful lot of difference because, and you can see it in the markets, by the way, the markets are, are really looking good this morning. The reason they're looking good is not because they're excited about Joe Biden. It's because they're excited that Democrats didn't take over all the facets of government. The, the, the markets were afraid Elizabeth Warren was going to be Secretary of the Treasury. That ain't happening. The markets were afraid Bernie Sanders was going to run policy. Mitch McConnell is the head of the Senate. So, like, that is very, very good news for the country. That gridlock is going to be good for the country. And by the way, it sets up Republicans really well for 2022. If, God forbid, Biden is the president and Mitch McConnell is the head of the the Senate, he's the Senate majority leader, and it's not Kamala Harris who's breaking ties or something. Well, what that means is that Republicans are now set up probably to win the House in 2022 and probably to extend their Senate lead in 2022. And everybody knows it, including the Democrats, which is why you're seeing so much depression on their side of the aisle. 
I was reliably informed that all they cared about to restore the soul of the country was getting rid of Donald Trump. Then why are they so disappointed when it looks like they're on the verge of doing that? The answer is because it wasn't about that. It's about how much they dislike Republicans, how much they dislike conservatives. It wasn't sufficient for them to defeat Trump. It was never about Trump. It was about you. And that's why they're so all fired upset. They're upset that Donald Trump won that many votes. They are upset that Mitch McConnell is still the Senate majority leader. They're upset that Republicans gained seats. By the way, not noticing a lot of articles about the historic number of Republican women who were elected. There's only like 13 Republican women are now were elected in this election cycle in the House. Haven't seen any stories about the, the new feminist breakthrough. Have you? Oh, yeah, that, that only works when we talk about Democrats, of course. We'll get to more of this in just a second, because honestly, these are major victories for conservatism. These are major victories for Republicans, and they shouldn't be they should not be ignored just because we're all still focused on what could happen in the presidential race, which remains very fraught. We'll get to more of that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that I've been talking to you about sleep quality, how important sleep quality is. Well, I'll tell you one thing that helps your sleep quality immensely, your pillow, your sheet. Right? If you've got a great pillow and great sheets, it makes a world of difference, a world of difference. I've improved my sleep quality dramatically because I am now lying upon my pillow pillows and my pillow sheets, and they're fantastic. Mike Lindell is the inventor of my pillow. Mike's latest deal is on his Giza Dreams sheets. They're made from the world's best cotton, Giza cotton. They are ultra soft and breathable, extremely durable. Right now, those Giza Dreams sheets are at a two-for-one low price, plus free shipping with promo code DAILYWIRE. All of the MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just head on over to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square to check out the two-for-one low price on the Giza Dreams sheets, plus free shipping. There are also deep discounts on all other MyPillow products as well. Enter promo code DAILYWIRE or call 800-651-1148 for these fantastic radio specials. Go check out MyPillow.com. I mean, honestly, quality pillows, quality sheets. It ain't going to get better than this. Go check them out right now. Enter promo code DAILYWIRE or call 800-651-1148 for that fantastic offer. Okay, we're going to get to much, much more because I want to bring you a lot of good news, like all the way around the country. Good news for conservatives and the and the continued reliance on a racial narrative by the Democrats that spells, frankly, future wins for Republicans coming up. We'll get to that in one second. First, you may have noticed that this year has been just a complete bleep show. It feels like America is coming apart and it feels like the Democratic Party is out to undermine fundamental American values. That was what was at stake in the election. I think the American public, more than anything else, reproached the 1619 Project and the wokeness of the left. And I, I hope that we contributed to that with my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Now, as we move forward in this country, it's gonna be very important that particularly young people who voted in outsized numbers for Democrats understand exactly what is going on when people rip into the history of the United States and the philosophy of the United States. I get questions all the time. What's a good book I can recommend to a college student, a high school student, to a friend, to educate them about why America is fantastic, about why the Declaration and the Constitution are important, and why people are attacking them? My book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, is that book. I think it is the single best primer available on the history, philosophy, and culture of the United States and why there are people who want to tear those down. Go check out the book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. More relevant today as we move forward with our educational mission than ever. So make sure that you go check that out right now. Also, make sure you head on over to Daily Wire and subscribe. We have so much good stuff coming for you. Candace Owens joining the team, moving with us to Nashville. We have all sorts of excellent new programming coming for you. Go subscribe right now. Be part of the team. Help us replace the corrupt media. That's what we are out there to do. Go check us out right now at Daily Wire and subscribe. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So the excellent news for Republicans really was coast to coast over the course of the evening. And the presidential race is still up in the air again. We don't know the outcome of the presidential race yet. Trump has some steep hills to climb still in Arizona. He's got some hills to climb 
in Nevada. He's got some hills to climb in Pennsylvania. But we don't know the outcome yet. But one thing is for certain, and you can see it, you can sense it. Democrats are deeply unhappy with the result. They're really unhappy with the result. Even if Joe Biden ekes out a very narrow victory, they're very unhappy with the result. And the reason they're unhappy with the result is, again, it was never about getting rid of Trump. This was the lie of the campaign. The lie of the campaign is that Democrats were deeply concerned about Trump's character. That was the only thing they were worried about. No, no. They were using that as a front for the usual leftist claptrap, the usual leftist agenda. They were hoping to ride dislike of Trump into the White House with a big majority in the Senate. And they were hoping they would then be able to cram down their unpopular agenda on the American people. It's why Joe Biden refused to talk about his policies the entire campaign. Because it was all a lie. It was never about Trump's character. It was about you. They think that you, if you are a Trump supporter, or you, if you don't vote for them, you're a bad person. You're a lesser person. And voters rejected that. Not only did they reject that, they rejected that in extraordinary ways. Republicans are set up for the next four to eight years in a pretty solid way going forward. Okay, the New York Times reporting. Some suburban strongholds swing back to GOP in New York and across the United States. Heading into Election Day, Democrats in New York had high hopes across the ballot with three House races targeted in a national red-to-blue campaign. But by Wednesday morning, these hopes were greatly dimmed. You can hear the despair reeking from the New York Times. The three Democratic candidates, all women, were far behind after the initial machine count of ballots. Elsewhere in the state, two first-term Democratic congressmen, Max Rose and Anthony Brindisi, were in danger of losing their seats. Just two years earlier, they'd been hailed by their party as trailblazers who prevailed in districts traditionally held by Republicans. In the state capitol, where Democrats harbored visions of a supermajority in the state Senate, the party seemed far from that goal and may even cede ground. The Republican hold on the suburbs seemed to wane in 2018, with Democrats taking seats in New York and similar suburban districts in other states. On Tuesday, the tide seemed to turn back again, reflecting the Republican success at ousting House incumbents in swing districts across the country. That trend was mirrored nationally in results from state houses, with the lowest number of chambers slated to change hands in more than half a century. While Democrats won both legislative houses in Arizona, they lost both the House and the Senate in New Hampshire. While some Republican candidates sought to distance themselves from President Trump, whose popularity was thought to be waning, they still clung to a Trump-like law and order message. And it turns out, by the way, as we'll talk about in just a second, that law and order message is durable with minority, minority audiences. It turns out you know who doesn't like rioting and looting? A lot of black folks who live next to people who are rioting and looting. A lot of Hispanic folks don't like illegal immigration. It turns out that you don't have to pander and pretend to pander to a racial group in order to win their votes. It turns out that people act as individuals and in their own best interest, and they can assess their own best interest as individuals. Okay, that is what Republicans found out last, the last couple of nights. According to the New York Times, they tied Democratic candidates to defunding the police and progressive radicalism in the party, a strategy that seemed to work in many parts of the nation as Republicans sought to maintain control of the Senate and claw back some House seats. It definitely worked in South Florida, where Cuban population, the Venezuelan population, they voted in outsized numbers for President Trump because they don't like socialism and they don't like what the Democratic Party is preaching. Max, Max Rose was targeted in a series of attack ads from the Congressional Leadership Fund that featured a group of men in police union shirts criticizing him for marching with demonstrators calling to defund police departments. Similar strategies were employed by the Trump campaign and Republicans across the country. Democrats were initially slow to push back, a reluctance that some Democratic lawmakers and strategists warned would backfire. So Republicans are starting to win back those suburban districts that the Democrats thought were permanently lost to them. Meanwhile, according to Politico, a decade of power, state house wins position GOP to dominate redistricting. Here's something else Republicans can be happy about Tuesday. Okay, this is actually huge news because I was deeply worried about this. A bad election cycle to, uh, to have a bad election cycle is anyone ending in zero because every 10 years, that is a, a census year. Okay, and the census is when redistricting is done. 
And when redistricting is done, that is a real problem if you have the opposite party doing those district drawings. An abysmal showing by Democrats in state legislative races on Tuesday not only denied them victories in Sunbelt and Rust Belt states that would have positioned them to advance their policy agenda, it also put the party at a disadvantage ahead of the redistricting that will determine the balance of power for the next decade. The results could domino through politics in America, helping the GOP draw favorable congressional and state legislative maps by ensuring Democrats remain the minority part in key state legislatures. Ultimately, it could mean more Republicans in Washington and in state capitals. By Wednesday night, Democrats had not flipped a single state house chamber in its favor. It remained completely blocked from the map, making progress, making process in several key states, including Texas, North Carolina, and Florida, which could have a combined 82 congressional seats by 2022, where the GOP retained control of the state legislatures. After months of record-breaking fundraising by their candidates and a constellation of outside groups, Democrats fell far short of their goals and failed to build on their 2018 success, and they may have President Donald Trump to blame. It's clear that Trump isn't an anchor for the Republican legislative candidates. He's a buoy, said Christina Polisa, a spokesperson for the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee. He outperformed media expectations, Democratic and Republican expectations, and lifted legislative candidates with him. Okay, that may or may not be true because he performed basically in line with most of the candidates around the various states. For example, in Georgia, the Senate candidates seem to have won more votes than Trump did, but he certainly was not an anchor. That part is certainly true. Right? Trump drove enthusiasm. Voters came to the polls to defend Trump, and they voted for Republicans in the process. And a lot of people split the ballot. A lot of people came, and they voted for Joe Biden at the top of the ballot, and then they said, you know what? I don't want that guy actually generating policy. I just don't like Trump very much personally. And then they voted down ballot for Republicans. There was some ticket splitting here. Democrats had a disappointing night in congressional and state legislative races across the country as they realized the suburban revolt against Trump did not extend in 2020. And this is one of the theories that was out there, is that in 2018, the only way that you could provide a referendum on Trump was to vote against Republicans who sided with him. But Trump himself was on the ballot. So there were a lot of people who were like, okay, I can vote against Trump and also for my favorite Republican congressperson, or at least against the Democrats. Republicans appear poised to hold on to the Senate, gain seats in the House, pick up a governorship in Montana, defying expectations, but it is the victories they won in state legislatures that could be the most consequential of all, giving the GOP outsized influence over the congressional and legislative redistricting process that begins early next year. This is why the Democrats are freaking the hell out. They are freaking out. And Democrats are deeply afraid of all of this. They are not happy this morning. They're not happy on Thursday. It doesn't matter that they think they now have the upper hand in the presidential race. It's really, honestly, it's really funny to watch some of the Lincoln Project members today because like, look, we're getting rid of Trump. Aren't you guys so happy? Aren't you guys so happy? And meanwhile, the Democrats are like, I can't believe this went this badly because it turns out it was never about Trump for the Democrats. Never. It was always about the pursuit of power. I mean, there's an article in the Washington Post today called Democrats' ambitious agenda for 2021 runs into an unexpected obstacle, McConnell's resilience. Yes, yes. Feel your anger. This is good. This is very good news. Okay, so Republicans have a lot to be positive about, even as we out, even as we wait out the final results of the election. And so that is a all of that is very, very good news, and that should be celebrated by Republicans coast to coast and conservative, and frankly, Americans coast to coast, because you don't want the radicals in charge of the government. You don't. No matter what you think of Trump, it is very obvious Americans do not want the radicals in charge of the government with unchecked power. That is not a thing. That that's why. Am I kind of sanguine about the Georgia Senate races that are going to probably have runoffs in January. I'm kind of sanguine about it. I don't think the Georgians are going to show up en masse to give Joe Biden a majority in the Senate. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think Mitch McConnell is very likely to be the Senate majority leader when the next president is inaugurated or even if Trump is re-inaugurated uh, in, in January. Okay, meanwhile, 
You can sense the despair in liberal circles. They're desperately attempting to cling to a narrative that they've been pushing for quite a while. Okay, that narrative is that racial racial polarization needs to happen in order to better the country. There's only one problem with that. In this election cycle, the Republicans did better with black voters than they did better with Hispanic voters. Now, doing better with black voters did not mean that black voters did not put Biden over the top. By polling data, black voters did put Biden over the top. The difference between Biden and Trump, if Biden ends up winning, which again, is still pending, If that happened, the reason would be because of heavy black turnout. So you can win a heavier share of the black turnout, but if the black turnout overall is larger, that means more absolute votes in the black community went for Joe Biden. So for example, in Michigan, there were 94,000 black voters in in Michigan. There were 308, this is is according to Andre Banks of We Win Black and Color of Change. He said there were 94,000 black voters in Michigan in 2016. There were 389,000 voters in Michigan in 2020, and that makes the difference. In the presidential battlegrounds in 2016, black voters cast 2.7 million, these are early votes actually, black voters cast 2.7 million ballots early in the presidential battlegrounds in 2016. In 2020, they cast 6 million votes early. Nationally, black voters in 2016 cast 4.4 million votes early. In 2020, it was 9.7 million votes early. Right, so heavy black turnout did spur Biden to an advantage if he ends up winning this election. With that said, One thing that was completely repudiated here was the idea that you can absolutely tell the future of the country simply by looking at the racial polarization in the country. It is just not true. Trump won a historic number of minority voters. Trump won more minority voters, just on on a percentage basis, than any Republican candidate since 1960. What that means is that we are actually watching, maybe, we can all pray and hope, the end of intersectionality rather than the beginning. Democrats had basically banked on the idea that some woke white ladies, along with typical liberal millennials and youngers, together with a minority coalition, a heavily minority coalition, polarized into obedience to the Democratic Party line by accusations of racism against Republicans, that would be the new coalition, the new governing coalition for Democrats. And it turns out that that is falling apart on them. And they are just, they're not going to let it go. They're angry about it, and they are not going to let it go. It doesn't matter that the data do not support this contention, that they are going to be able to use the demographics as destiny argument and build their coalition on the back of an intersectional racial coalition. I mean, this is is what's amazing. I mean, if you actually look at the polling stats in minority communities, I know that we're not supposed to actually look at what people who are black or Hispanic think about the world. We're just supposed to treat them as a monolith, according to Democrats. But it turns out they have some ideas that don't exactly jive with the Democratic Party line. According to a piece at NBC News from Musa Al-Garbi, he says, it may be that minority viewers, sorry, it may be that many minority voters simply do not view some of Trump's controversial comments and policies as racist. Too often, scholars try to test whether something is racist by looking exclusively at whether the rhetoric or proposals they disagree with resonate with whites. They frequently don't even bother to test whether they might appeal to minorities as well. What the article is saying is that basically pollsters and uh, media members will find if a policy is popular with white people, and then they'll say, ah, if it's popular with white people, it must be racial animus. But what if some of those policies are also popular with black people? So for example, school choice. When they do look at the opinions of black and Hispanic Americans, the results tend to be surprising, says this columnist for NBC News. For instance, one recent study presented white, black, and Hispanic voters with messages the researchers considered to be racial dog whistles or coded language that signals commitment to white supremacy. It turned out the messages resonated just as strongly with blacks as they did with whites. Hispanics responded even more warmly to the rhetoric about crime and immigration than other racial groups. 
That is, on balance, these quote-unquote racist messages seem to resonate more strongly with minorities than whites. Across racial groups, most did not find the messages to be racist or offensive, despite the researchers viewing these examples as clear-cut cases of racial dog whistles. Right, so in other words, when Donald Trump said, I don't think America is systemically racist, or when Donald Trump says, I don't like illegal immigration, or when Donald Trump says, we need law and order in our cities, all of the pollsters, all the media members, like, oh, that's racism. We all know it's not racism. And you know who else knows it's not racism? Many blacks and Hispanics. But Democrats are never going to let go of this. They're never going to let go of it because they think they had discovered that they, they, had, they had performed alchemy. Right? They, they, had transformed, they had transformed rust into gold. This is what they thought. They thought that they had taken the, the, Marxist, the Marxist brew and poured it into a racial vessel. And the racial vessel would be capable of carrying the Marxist brew. That's what they thought. They thought that they could just pour a bunch of socialistic big government nonsense into a vessel that was all about rage against quote-unquote white supremacy, and that would hold it. It turns out that vessel doesn't exist. It turns out that people are still individuals, but the media aren't going to let go of it. So the worst column of the day comes from the aptly named Charles M. Blow at the New York Times. His column is called Exit Polls Point to the Power of White Patriarchy. Really do they? Do they point to the power of white patriarchy? Because it turns out that Trump won an elevated share of the black vote and an elevated share of the Hispanic vote. And in fact, he won a depressed share of the white vote, particularly. But Charles Blow has a theory, and he's never going to let those facts get in the way of the theory. We can never let the facts get in the way of the theory. He says, it is obscene that the presidential race is too close to call at the time this column is published, Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. After all that Donald Trump has done, all the misery he has caused, all the racism he has aroused, <laughs> so roughly half the country voted to extend this horror show. Let me be specific and explicit here. White people, both men and women, were the only group in which a majority voted for Trump, according to exit polls. To be exact, nearly three out of every five white voters in America are Trump voters. It is so unsettling to consider that many of our fellow countrymen and women are either racists or accommodate racists or acquiesce to racists. Right, so I, I love this. You're just going to keep calling everybody a racist. Just keep doing it, man. Just keep doing it until you are in the permanent political minority. Please. We're enjoying, I mean, let, let's be real about this. It is that sentiment that has caused the upsurge for Trump. It is that sentiment that caused a rejection of wokeism all across the country. Keep doubling down. Keep saying everybody you disagree with is a racist. See what it brings you. See how much people appreciate it. It turns out people think you're a jackass. It turns out that when you call people racist without evidence, and your only evidence is you disagree with them, that makes you a jerk. It makes you a bigot. Okay, and Charles M. Blow is a bigot. Hey, here, here's what Charles Blow says. Hey, this is my favorite part. He says, not just white people who are the problem. It's all the people who want to be white people. See, now white has become a synonym in woke land for evil. So if you're white, you're evil, right? And also, if you are black and you voted like the white, then you are also evil because now you're white on the inside, right? This is just, it's gross, disgusting stuff that's been pushed by the racial left for quite a while here. He says that that's only part of what was shocking to me about the exit polls. First, the stipulations, as the New York Times makes clear, these data are preliminary estimates. Second, some people wondered whether the exit polls would include voters who voted early or by mail. Finally, exit polls are just exit polls, but I am still stunned. Yeah, I'm sure you are. A larger percentage of every racial minority voted for Trump this year than in 2016. Among blacks and Hispanics, this percentage grew among both men and women, although men were more likely to vote for Trump than women. Among Hispanics, the movement by sex were marginal and have held remarkably steady over the last four presidential elections. The fascinating story and movement are in the black vote. Black people vote overwhelmingly for Democratic candidates. Black women vote more reliably Democratic than black men. Only three or 4% of black women voted for the Republican candidate in 08, 12, and 16. However, Trump doubled that number this year, winning 8% of black women's votes. Black men have been inching away from the Democrats in recent elections. 5% of black men voted for McCain in 2012, 11 for Romney. 
13% for Trump. This year, 18% voted for Trump. These men were specifically targeted by the Trump campaign. That targeting may well have worked. Democrats are going to have to pour some energy into specifics, listening to and understanding these black men. They are still the least likely group of men to vote Republican, but this trend away from Democrats is undeniable at this point. Also, as it turns out, 28% of LGBT people voted for Donald Trump. So what is his conclusion? Here's his conclusion, right? Not that maybe people vote as individuals and that you can approach them as individuals and that they can have disagreements on a variety of issues and still vote for a candidate. No, Charles Blow's, his, con- his, his conclusion is all these people have been taken over by the, by the parasitical white patriarchy. All of this, says Charles Blow, points me to the power of white patriarchy and the coattail it has of those who depend on it or aspire to it. It reaches across gender and sexual orientation and even race. Trump's brash, privileged, chest-trumping, and alpha male dismissiveness and in-your-face rudeness are aspirational to some men and appealing to some women. Some people who have historically been oppressed will stand with the oppressors and will aspire to power by proximity. Ah, there it is. So, you are now white. Black men, if you voted for Donald Trump, congratulations. You have been conferred with evil whiteness by Charles Blow. Gay people, you are now straight by virtue of the fact that you voted for Donald Trump. Women, you are now men by virtue of the fact that you voted for Donald Trump, according to Charles Blow. But don't worry, you're the bigot. You're the bigot. It's absolutely unbelievable. Keep doubling down on this crap. Please, do it. Do it. Do it. Okay, and it's not just Charles Blow, who again is terrible. It is the Washington Post political reporter for The Fix, Eugene Scott. Quote, these days, I'm reminded quite often that you do not have to be white to support white supremacy. Ah, uh, you're not white anymore. You see, you support white supremacy. That's it. That's it. All those black men who voted, those 18% of black men who voted for Trump, they're all big fans of white supremacy, as it turns out. Weird. Weird, I'll, I'll admit weird, but I mean, if, if Eugene Scott, and that is some heavy journalisming right there. That is some hot, sticky, heavy journalisming right there from Eugene Scott. He's just tubing his journalism all over the place right there. He's a political reporter for the fact, by the way, I love his profile. This shows you the nature of our crap media and why we need a replacement media right now. Go subscribe at Daily Wire. This is it right here in a nutshell. Here is his profile, Eugene Scott. Washington Post political reporter for The Fix. All politics is identity politics. All politics is identity politics. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So you're overtly stating your religious worldview, and this is considered good journalism. Solid, solid stuff. Really, really good. Meanwhile, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the de facto editor of the New York Times, another one of these papers of record, again, replace the media, they're garbage. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the author of the 1619 Project, which is a pseudo-historical piece of dreck, award with the Pulitzer Prize because the people who award those sorts of prizes don't like America very much. She tweeted out, also, whiteness is not static. It is expandable when necessary. A lot of folks who don't think of as white think of themselves as white because the lines have never been entirely clear. That's the beauty of white supremacy. It is extremely adaptable. Well, no, that's the beauty of white supremacy to you because you get to use the term white supremacy to slather on anything you don't like. White supremacy is actually not an adaptable term. It means something quite specific, historically speaking. It means people who believe that white people are supreme. White supremacy. That's what it means. But according to members of our esteemed media establishment, white supremacy, it's it's a beautiful excuse for everything. It's plastic. You can, you can, it's it's like peanut butter. You just put it over anything and it makes it taste better. Or in this case, taste worse. Or in in this case, excuse any sort of behavior. Karen Attia, who of course is one of our esteemed journalistic betters. She runs global opinions at the Washington Post. She was journalist of the year. And she, she wrote, white women, again, because white women are evil. White women 
Oh, I'll wipe him. My, okay, so I have to say, one of my favorite exchanges yesterday, there was an exchange on, on Twitter, and I, I, I got to find it for you because it, it's just, it's so good. Okay, so here is the exchange. It is between a woman whose name I'm going to mispronounce, not on purpose, but just because I, I literally don't know how to pronounce this name. I, I'm going to, I'll try. Okay, I believe that it is Kelly Bogil Zvabgo. So forgive me if I mispronounce it. She tweeted out a graphic showing the voting breakdown in the, in the exit polls. White people, we will not forget. This is how y'all roll election after election. Okay, Anne-Marie Slaughter, who is a former Harvard Law professor and Princeton dean, uh, she worked at the State Department under Barack Obama. She'll probably be in the Biden administration if Biden ends up being president. She tweeted, whoa, what about those white people in the blue column? Those of us who believe that a plurality America will be a better America than a white majority America. Okay, so first of all, that is in and of itself racist, is it not? Because the reverse is also racist. If you say a white America will indubitably, under all circumstances, be better than a plurality America, that's kind of racist because now you're assuming that whiteness is the, is the deciding factor in whether the country is good or not. So now she's saying that non-whiteness is the deciding factor, but that's not the part that, that's funny. Okay, so she says, what about the white people who are voting along with you? Why are you cutting us out? Why are you being so mean? And Kelly Bogle Zvabgo writes back, I have tremendous respect for you, but I cannot accept this response. Overwhelming majorities of people of color, notably black women, consistently vote to elect leaders who will be humane. And we keep getting left in the lurch. Okay, so black women are the heroes. White women are, are bad. And even Anne-Marie Slaughter, who votes the way you want her to, she is part of the white female problem. So what does Anne-Marie Slaughter do? This is, my, this is the best part. This is the best part. She apologizes. She apologizes for saying that many white women did not support Donald Trump. Quote, to all the people on this thread, including New America folks, I hear you and apologize. I do not mean to deflect attention from the realities of racism and the deep racial divide between voters on the right and the left. I see how hashtag not all white people does that, just like hashtag not all men. Uh, uh, so the, the wokeness will never stop. It will never stop. Hey, there will be no coming together as long as the woke rule the roost. And they're going to rule the roost so long as the Democrats believe that the future of their party lies in the intersectional coalition building started by Barack Obama, particularly in the 2012 election. Until they get over that, it's going to get worse. And let's just be frank about this. The more Democrats decide to go down this path, the more Republicans are going to win. So by all means, continue. Like I think for the good of the country, you should abandon it. I would prefer that we have two parties that stand for individual identity rather than group identity. I think that would be better for a, for a country that is dependent on the idea of having discussions and having free speech. But if you're not going to do it, if you're going to go for it, then fine, go for it. And we'll see how it works out for you. It's a bold move, Cotton. We'll see how it plays. All righty. We'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we will see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Nick Sheehan and Rebecca Doyle. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The election goes on and on and on. People are mad and they're going mad. How do you keep from going insane while you're actually going insane? Well, one way is to listen to The Andrew Claven Show. Be there. I will. I'm Andrew Claven. 
We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 